Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, welcome. And good to be back together. Uh, I welcome those who are joining live stream, and we welcome you today from wherever you are. We're going to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at one verse, really all of Ephesians is, I'm going to be jumping all over, pretty well hitting every chapter, just with little verses here and there throughout this morning, but we're going to begin Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I know you've considered, to me, I, I'm a fairly systematic person. I'm not really sure where I got that from. I'm a fairly systematic person. Uh, in some ways, I like my ducks lined up in order. But there's another part of me being, being the youngest, too, maybe of my family. Uh, I also very much love adventure. So those kind of conflict with each other at times. But having things lined up, I very much want to, I don't want to do something for no point. I want it to be, be purpose-filled. And so I guess here's the question. Have you considered that when God created us, so look to the person next to you. Go ahead. You don't have to say anything. Just smile. They can see your smile. They can see it in your eyes. Okay. Now look the other way, person in the other direction. If you have to look across the aisle, okay. Realize this. Every person you looked at God created with a design and purpose. All of us with a design and purpose. You are not an accident. You're not a oops. No matter what you might have been told when you were young or when your brother or sister, I had a sister do this one time. Well, you know, they didn't expect you. And well, they maybe didn't, but voila, I'm here. No, you are here by design. You are here by purpose. She said that when she was mad at me, and I think it was her wish. You are here by God's design, by God's purpose. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, here it is. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to read it again. For we are God's handiwork. Another translation says we are God's masterpiece. I like that one. I'm a masterpiece. The person you looked at earlier, would you look to them again and say, you're a masterpiece? Tell them. You're a masterpiece. Okay, now look the other direction and tell that person, you're a masterpiece. Go ahead. You don't have to know them. You can just know it's true. All right? You're a masterpiece. For we, they, each other, You are God's masterpiece, here it is, created in Christ Jesus to, here it is, here's the reason, do good works. Here you thought you just were created to look pretty. No, well, you can look pretty, but you can still do good works. You were created, let's read it again. You were created in Christ Jesus to do, do, there's the key word, do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So is it clear to say that you've got an assignment? You 
are uniquely designed for something. Now, yes, your workplace, yes, your place in your family, but I'm, see, the focus here is doing good works. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the works are, you know, you're going to invent a great thing for all of the world to enjoy. Maybe. But I'm going to suggest the works that he has created for you to do is in the context of each other. So, let me just, Lord, we just open our hearts that you would speak to us as you have been already this morning. We just again bring our hearts and our, our wills to be molded by your will. Not my will, but may your will mold mine. So, Lord, if mine's a little stiff today, if I'm a bit stubborn today, if I'm, if I'm just being, uh, you know, an obstacle to what you want to do, right here, right now, I ask, God, you mold me to your will. Would you just make that your prayer too? Father, just mold me to your will. Mold me to your will. Your will be done, I pray, in my heart and my life, in your name. Amen. I want to share three things. Number one. You have been designed for a purpose. We already started there. You've been designed for a purpose. We go to another scripture, Ephesians 2.19. If you want to go there, we have it in front of you. This purpose leads us to this verse, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. In other words, foreigners and strangers, you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you come from. Like you just, you just moseyed in. You are no longer just stumbling from day to day. Sometimes we feel like that. But fellow citizens, here's the part I want you to grab, with God's people and also members of his household. We slipped through that. Let me slow it down. Grab this. We aren't purposeless, aimless. We are fellow citizens, fellow citizens. So I'm a Canadian. How many here are Canadians? Would you lift your hand? Canadians, okay. You are fellow citizens with me if you're a Canadian. We are fellow citizens, here it is, with who? God's people. It's the one you were just looking at a moment ago. It's the one in front of you. They see the back of their head. It's the one behind. It's the believers in all the churches who are true followers of Christ. We know that, you know, you can go to church and not be a believer. We know that. But those who are true followers of Christ. Here, let me read it again. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So I have members in my household. Uh, I have a wife. Her name is Lori. I have a daughter. Her name is Carissa. I have a son-in-law. His name is Ryan and Justin. I know it really gets confusing. I have a son his name is Jonas. I have a daughter-in-law. Her name is Erica, and I have the most gorgeous granddaughter. And if I had my phone, I'd show you a picture. Her name is Evangeline, and they are part of my household. Now, here's what he's saying. You are fellow citizens. Yes, citizens, Canadian. Uh, there's, there's a pile of people here in this country I'll never meet. There's a pile of people we'll never cross paths. I'm okay with that, and I'm sure they're okay with that. But here's the next part. But I am also members of a household. Guess where my household is? Now, not talking about the Lucas clan. We're talking about 
the Cornerstone clan. The Cornerstone clan. That kind of has a nice rhythm to it. The Cornerstone clan. That's the household. With God's members of his household. Now, we're not talking about you taking out a member in the church. We're talking about that being in Christ, we're in his household. He's dad, we're the kids. And these are my brothers and sisters. Now, track with me on this now. This is where we're going today. This is some Ephesians. A lot of the book of Ephesians is about this. Now, if you're first time visiting with us, you can be in this clan, Cornerstone clan. If you're visiting online, you're part of the Cornerstone clan. Your purpose is directly linked to fulfilling what God's planned for you in his family. How am I fulfilling you? And I don't mean as pastor to parishioners. I mean, how am I as a, as a, a son of God helping to fulfill you as a son and daughter of God in your journey? How am I doing with that? How are you doing with God's design and helping fulfill others in this, this membership, this group, this household? How is it going? You see, God's design for you with, is with relationship in mind. You and I are literally hardwired for relationship. So when these relationships, when we have relationships, good relationships, and I don't mean that we're just, you know, tickety-boo, everything's just, we're, we're, we are on the same wavelength. I discovered some of my most precious relationships, we are seldom on the same wavelength. Truly iron sharpening iron. We are unique, and yet we are committed to God's design for us with each other. Ah, those are the ones I grow the most in. And at times, they challenge me the most. And I'm sure the other person, too. So it's not just, oh, hey, my kindred, you know, just we're buddies. We just think of the same thing. Those are easy. No effort involved in that. And occasionally, God will gift us with someone like that. But the real development is the people that you've got to work a little bit with. <laughs> and uh, he, if, listen, if you don't have anybody like that, just ask. God will put them in your path. They will take you to new levels. Relationships, so that you are not left wanting. So let me just tell you, there's a secular study I came across about three months ago. This is a secular study. It's not a Christian study. So keep that in mind as we look at these. The article was titled, kind of a big article. Here's the title. Hardwired to Connect, the New Scientific Case for Authoritative Communities. And you're going, huh? Let me do it again. Hardwired to Connect, the title of the article, Hardwired to Connect, full colon, The New Scientific Case for Authoritative Communities. In other words, prepared by researchers from the Dartmouth Medical School Institute for American Values, they are searching new scientific, okay, everything, you know, is it science, is it science, is it science, follow the science, we hear that all the time, new scientific case for authoritative communities. Six things, the commission came up. Six key findings. The finding number one, humans are chemically predisposed to form close relationships. Now, you could probably say, I don't have to be a scientist to know that. It's true. But this is from studies that they put together. So number one, humans are chemically, chemically, not emotionally, chemically predisposed. Now, remember we talked about we're designed for something. We are chemically predisposed to form close relationships. When humans connect on deep levels with other humans, not just, hi, how are you, good, off we go. 
On deep levels, with other humans, our brain sees a spike that attaches hormone oxytocin. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. This triggers well-being and lessens your feelings of aggression. Scientifically spoken. So, humans are chemically predisposed to form close relationships. Number two, if a child experiences close nurturing relationships while growing up, his or her brain is profoundly affected for the better. And the opposite experience produces harm. So when children grow up in secure nurturing environments, they say, their brains develop in a way that helps them develop a healthy relationship with others and helps them personally to cope with stress. Number three, animal studies suggest that genetic vulnerabilities can be overturned by close contact. So what they did, they did with monkeys here. So I'm just going to tell you there. So monkeys were divided into three groups in the experiment. First group, second group, third group. First group, the monkeys had uh, genetic vulnerability to anxiety and timidity and fear. So these monkeys were exposed to anxiety and fear. Second group of monkeys had a genetic vulnerability to aggression and poor impulse control, just random aggressive behavior. The third group was filled with highly nurturing monkeys, caring, compassionate to one another. Now the first group, this is the group that had genetic vulnerability to anxiety and timidity. The first group was given, they discovered they were given to alcohol. Now I just got to pause this for a second. Whoever gives alcohol to monkeys? Okay, I just... But I guess they had to, you know, put everything to make it available. So they got some booze for the monkeys. Here's the scientific. The first group, the monkeys that had genetic vulnerability to anxiety and timidity, these monkeys, the first group, were given access to alcohol, and they drank heavily and steadily, and they died early. No kidding. Second group uh, talked of... uh, Okay, let me see. First group, given that they had drank. And the second group, they also discovered that they had aggressive and poor behavior to one another. And they were giving to anger, these angry, and, and they became obnoxious to each other, these monkeys. And the second group, these were to aggression and poor impulse control. And the third group were exposed to nurturers. They thrived. They were not anxious. They were not aggressive. And they lived long. So this is just a bunch of monkeys. Animal studies, number three, suggest that genetic vulnerabilities can be overturned by, they proved it, the third group had close contact. Here's the fourth thing in this scientific study. Teens and young adults particularly need healthy, nurturing, and close human contact. Teens and young adults. In adolescent age, the brain goes through massive rewiring. The dopamine chemical in the brain responded here to nurturing close support, interactive relationships, and it just excelled. The brain excelled. Conversely, those immersed into non-nurturing environments where close relationships were just not there, they were prone to drugs and their brains were damaged. Number five, humans are biologically primed to seek moral and spiritual meaning. Remember, this is secular. 
Humans are biological primed to seek moral, what's right, and spiritual meaning. Nurturing relationships are a central foundation for positive moral and spiritual development. When humans connect deeply, in other words, with others without something beyond themselves, they missed development of compassion and empathy. That is why you talk to stats can or stats any country and you will discover followers, those of faith-based backgrounds, give significantly more to the hurting and distressed than those who don't. And that's just out there. You should all probably know that. So in this study, we saw humans connect deeply with others with something beyond themselves, develop themselves a compassion and empathy for others. And number six, nurturing relationships and a spiritual connection to the transcendent significantly improve physical and emotional health. Something that is outside of yourself, the spiritual again. Health of the individual is directly related to faith and practice in the faith. So you can't just say, I'm, you know, I have faith, but you don't do anything. Those who are doers of their faith, involved with their faith, develop relate, within relationships with others, we're able to find these connections and emotional health. Here's the point. We are designed by God for relationship. I don't know how that makes you feel. That might cause some of you here who are maybe introversive, your, your heart rate starts going up. Others who are, who are, you know, a bit more type A personality going, yes, I need more relation with people. But we are all designed. And yet, here's the thing. Because of sin and the effect of sin on us, many, all, I'm going to suggest, have struggled or lost the ability to experience the relationship God has planned for you. We just have lost it. It's the fall. It's the issue of sin. We are broken and yet often don't know what's wrong. We carry burdens that you and I were never meant to carry alone. We fight the evil one alone when God never intended for me to fight the evil one alone. Without committed, intentional, loving relationships with members of his household, with other Christians, we miss an essential ingredient of our faith that can never be duplicated. There is an obvious, I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with good messages. I love a good message. There's nothing wrong with good music. I love good music. There's nothing wrong with the welcoming church and welcoming programs and a welcoming building and all the stuff that goes with it. But the problem is much bigger than those solutions there. It's not about the preaching. It's not about the singing. It's not about was it a nice, nice place. It's bigger than that. There's a Christian counselor. His name is Larry Crabb. He's written a number of books. And Larry said this, quote, 90% of the problems I've encountered in clients' lives could have been dealt with if they had a good friend. If only they had a good friend. Unquote. 90%, he said, problems could have been dealt with if there was a good friend that was alongside them in life. So, personally, I myself, Wayne Lucas, I have made a, one of my goals back here just over a year ago, when we were fairly early into the pandemic, that 
I made it a goal. God, when you give me new opportunity, I want to reconnect in a deeper level than I've ever reconnected with people around me. Not just my immediate family. It's his membership, his household. I want to connect deeper than I've ever connected. And I believe that's a good goal. And I've been pursuing that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But listen, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Pity them. Don't look up to them. Pity them. Second thing I want to talk about here today is for better, for worse. The world, the society that we are a part of today in 2022, has reassigned the word love to things that are not particularly love. It's so important. Ingredients for relationship, which is the word love, that we come to a fresh... We need to hit the refresh button on the word love. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I preached a message that defined real love, and it was from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to just read that scripture again. 1 Corinthians 13, and I, I spent the whole morning on it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, did you notice that in all of those, these are not feeling-based. These are choice based. Love is patient. Not based on whether you feel like you want to wait. You choose to wait. Love is kind. Has nothing to do if you feel kindness flowing through you. You choose to be kind. Love does not envy. Not because you don't feel like envying. You naturally want to envy and be jealous, but you choose not to. Every one of those are a choice. So you see in this whole list here, it's not feeling-based. Oh, I can't help myself. The answer is yes, you can. Because it's choice-based. John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most quoted verse. You know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The phrase there, God so loved the world. He loved, the word was agape. He loved, the word agape means it's filled with mercy and forgiveness. He loved when we were unlovable. He loved when we revolted him, when we pushed back. We didn't want anything to do with him. I know that was true with me. And he still loved us. He loved out of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. He chose to love me. He didn't love me because I was lovable. He didn't love you because you were lovable. He loved you because he chose to love you. Based on the word agape. For God so loved the world that he did all the things he did. So his mercy, forgiveness, was keyed into his love. I read a story some time ago and it really, it really stood out. Probably one of the most impacting stories in the last year, maybe even a couple, three years of my life. It was a pastor relaying a situation in his church. 
Let me just tell you the story. I'm going to try to make it brief. There was a couple that were attending the pastor's church, and they had been attending for a few years, and obviously something caused them to be unhappy. They uh, began to look around for other churches. They hadn't moved. They just began to look at other churches. They did agree when the pastor realized what was happening or somebody tipped the pastor off, I'm not sure, but they did agree to talk to the pastor just before they slipped out. Okay, so track with me. A couple been into church for a while. They're looking to go somewhere else. Now, they'd been married for many years. So the pastor asked them in these few minutes he had with them. He asked them, "Um, as husband and wife, have you ever disagreed with each other in the course of your marriage? They'd been married many years. Have you ever disagreed with each other? And they both smiled and said, of course we have. Well, the pastor said, well, what did you do when you disagreed with each other? I mean, you've been married many years, so what did you do? Well, they proceeded to tell the pastor that they started by trying to understand the other person's perspective when they disagreed. They had to learn to listen to each other and then to try to re-communicate clearly what it was that they were disagreeing to try to find some common grounds. And they said frequently they just had to stop and pray together and ask God to help them through their disagreement in order for them to get beyond. They talked about their frustrations with each other and, their, and they stuck it out. So the pastor asked them if they had come to a resolution on all the issues that they had disagreed on. And again, they smiled and said, no. No, we didn't come to a resolution on all the issues that we disagreed on. So the pastor asked, well, when you disagreed, surely, you know, faraway pastors look greener. I mean, surely there was times in your marriage it would have just looked better to move on in your marriage. Not in the marriage, but out of the marriage. And they said, that was never an option, they said. Yeah, we know that, and we were tempted to at times. Again, they've been married for years. We were tempted to at times, but they said in the midst of their disagreement, even though the grass did look greener elsewhere, they said, and here they said, we made a commitment to each other for better, for worse. Now the pastor brought it home. He said, you're to be congratulated on applying biblical truth to your marriage, because that's what you should do through forgiveness and confronting and even overlooking past issues, then why have you not applied the very same biblical principle in dealing with your spiritual family? Wow. Why didn't you do it with your church family? You were so quick to do it as husband and wife and you did not do it as in your marriage. Why didn't you do it in your church And the pastor encouraged them in this story to read Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you were to read Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, it deals with unity and maturity in the family of God. And it equates, in those two chapters, the family of God to our earthly families. It equates this setting, you and I, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to my relationship with my wife. As my relationship is to my wife and hers to me, so is my relationship to you and you to me. Those are compared in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. Paul brought them out. He says, listen, they're not to be separated. So as you would do, and rightfully so, in your marriage, in your family, in your biological family, so you need to do in your church family. Apply the same principles. When I join a church family... I commit myself 
to her, for better or for worse. Now, we're not talking doctrine error. It's a different thing. We're talking working through relationships. And that's exactly what God in his design caused, called his church, his family, to do with one another. And it's called love. A verse here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I want to read it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I submit because I love him. Doesn't mean I have to particularly love the person, but because I love him. And so I submit to one another. I bring myself into relationship with each other because I love them. Because I love them, I do this. I submit out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21, great verse. This is God's plan for people in his church. Loving God and others means we are real, we're open, we're honest with each other. We walk the road together. Now, I'm not preaching this this morning because there's an issue going on. I'm preaching because this is part of a God's design for me. And, and when I began to see this, it was like, oh, I hadn't seen the beautiful comparison of my biological family to his spiritual family as I had. When we walk the road together, Hebrews 3.13 exhorts us to encourage one another every day so that none of us, not one of us, may be hardened by, sin, by sin's deceitfulness. So, beloved, you and I are here today. We are responsible and committed to the ministry of each other. It's far too easy to criticize while forgetting the good because there has been so much good. That's why give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. God will show you his will through giving thanks. Let me just tell another story I, re- I was reading it was a couple who was attending a church, a husband and wife. They didn't, they attending a church and they had walked a spiritual journey together with the people in the church. This couple had had a number of needs during their time with the church. Folk from the church at one time had actually helped them in their marriage. Their marriage was struggling. They, um, this couple had young children and there was a time the church came along and, and helped them with their young children. They had uh, moved Twice, and the church assisted in some way. Just different people in the church. One or two or three people helped. They had received at one point some financial assistance when they were in need. And then they went missing. They hadn't been to church for a number of weeks. And only to be discovered that uh, they were visiting other churches. They were going somewhere else, looking to go somewhere else. The people in the church circle began to question them. They began to get a hold of them and ask them, was our church not good enough for you? <laughs> were we not good enough when we, we helped minister to your marriage? Were, were we not good enough when we helped you with your children? Were we not good enough when you went through that time of, of difficulty? Were we not important when we visited you when they were in the hospital or talked you on the phone or in person or just reached out to you? And the couple said, and they, they got their back up, and the couple in the story said, what's the big deal? All we did was change churches. We'll visit sometimes. Don't take it personal. But here's the problem. It is personal. Relationships are personal. Family's personal. I mean, would you tell me it wasn't personal if your husband or wife got tired in your relationship and started having dinner with another man? Would you not take it personally? Would you not take it personal if your son or your daughter leaves your home and then calls someone else mom, someone else dad? How do you not take that personal? It's personal. 
And so the idea, well, don't take it personal. It's just what we do. We're just all part of a big family. And we are. But let's go back. How did God design us? He designed us as a masterpiece to be designed in a family. And in that family, to grow and nurture and to care. And so it does become personal. It comes to the place, what is my spiritual obligation to someone else? Relationships are always two-way. We know that. Relationships require mutual submission. Relationships are like ropes binding us together that ought not to be easily broken. They should never easily break. Which brings me to my last point. we got to fight for the family. we got to fight for the family. One of the reasons we here at Aurora Cornerstone these past few weeks have been acknowledging those that serve in different areas of our church is we want to publicly express appreciation and thanks and love for those who do that because it's huge. And I often don't do this well enough. I know some of you are light years ahead of myself. I don't do this well enough in demonstrating appreciation where appreciations do. But we need to. Those who during these difficult past few years, and these past few years have been difficult for maybe all of us, those who during these difficult past few years, stepping into the gap when others stepped out of the gap, you demonstrated agape love. You picked up where there was a slack. In so doing, you blessed people's lives. You brought healing to people's lives. And I'm going to suggest somebody has come to Christ. People's lives were drawn to him because somebody stepped in the gap of need when somebody stepped out. And we need to say thank you for stepping into that gap. Thank you for being there. And secondly, those here, and I, was, I, I stood at the back during the entire worship today, and I just wanted to see who's here. Because often up here, I don't get a chance to see that. And, and you know, my, I, was just, I was just having a great time back there by myself, just watching uh, the congregation, those who've been here for out, you know, outdating us. We've only been here for a few years ourselves, and those who've been here many years, and just, I was so blessed. And then those who we've known over the time served together, just so blessed, and, and watching, you know, just what God has done in a number of lives. And then those I really haven't gotten to know yet. You just so much blessed me just to see you, you encouraged. Those who've been a part of this church, and here's the thing that has really blessed me in these last couple of years during pandemic time. Those who had no prior commitments to this church. You had no, your kids didn't grow up here. You didn't have any roots in this church. Yet when you came, you said, how can I help? And I just get so blessed by that. And so yes, we should say thank you. We, we owe a thank you to those who even have no reason to have to, have no reason other than the reasons I've been telling you we're part of God's family. But you've just come and you said, listen, how can I help? What can I do? You've only been here weeks. You've only been here months. You've only been here a year or two or three. How can I help? How can I get involved? That's agape love. A colleague, or not a, a, a colleague of mine, another pastor, was in a church for a short period of time when another church, a great opportunity, came available. He hadn't been in a church very long. Another church came available and he moved away to the bigger opportunity. My response would be to say, don't look over the fence to my colleagues. 
don't look over the fence. I refuse to do that. I refuse to look over the fence because I'm in a relationship right here. This is where God has planted. And this is a body that he desires to grow with one another. You don't need to look elsewhere. Everything that he wants through demonstration of agape love is right here. Steadfast love comes out of relationship of submission to each other. So I'm bringing it home. You are designed to have a purpose, to be the church in relation to one another. Secondly, for better, for worse. It's Ephesians 4 and 5. Just as a husband and wife, for better, for worse, you work it out. You just don't leave. So the body of Christ, for better, for worse. Sometimes we just have to work it out. We stay with it. And fight for the family. As one would fight for, I would fight for my wife. As I would fight for my son. I would fight for my daughter. We're worth fighting for. So is the family of God. It is personal. We fight for one another. Just as when man and woman become husband and wife in marriage, to separate, you can never go back to where you were. It's one of the things I talk when I do premarital counseling. That when you walk the altar, when you say to each other, I do, the option of pulling back out is gone. You will never be the same. Why will you never be the same? You know, we, we are growing up in a society that you can. You can just pull apart. It's okay. You know, don't take that right away from me. And this is also true with those who live in common law. You can never go back to being the same. And here's why. Because something supernatural takes place when you come together in intimacy as husband and wife is that you become, the Bible says, two become what? One. Now, how does one become two? It doesn't. It doesn't. You see, you supernaturally became one. In order to become two, you, Bible, you tear chunks out of the other person. That's why police, the absolute worst call, my colleagues who are policemen, the absolute worst call they can get is to go to a domestic dispute between a husband and a wife because chunks of them are pulled out. You can never become what you were. You will have a part of this person and part of you will be gone. You can move on, yes. You can find some healing, yes. But you will never be what you were prior to the relationship because we weren't designed to go back again. We were designed to go one direction. We follow that. And likewise in the body of Christ. There's so many hurts in the body of Christ. Some of you here, you come out of deep hurts. I feel for that because there's been tearing. I have seen some of the ugliest tears. There can be healing for those tears. No, you will never be the same. But may whatever the tear been, may whatever the tear has been, may it help you now to determine, I don't want any more tearing in my life. I want to grow in fellowship. God has designed relationships within his body, his family, to not separate unless it truly is for legitimate reasons. To do so, tearing takes place. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There in one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Praise God. 
for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.